Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hi everyone, this is episode 57 of the Craft Sanity Podcast, and I am so excited to bring you this interview with Carol Duvall. Those of you who don't know, Carol Duvall is the queen of craft before Martha Stewart took to the airwaves and radio waves and you know built her empire. Carol Duvall was entertaining people at home, showing them what they could make, basically what they had around the house in many cases. Legs, eggs, containers, and boxes that food products would come in, all kinds of little things. Carol got her start in TV in October 19, 1951, here in Grand Rapids. She still lives in Michigan. She lives in Bear Lake. I grew up knowing who Carol Duvall was because my mom was such a fan. So this one's for you, Mom. For all those folks out there who watch HGTV, Carol Duvall's had a show on there for quite a few years. She's not taping shows anymore, however. You can watch the episodes online. I will put a link on the website so you know where to find those. And Carol has a book out called Paper Crafting with Carol Duvall that just came out this summer. And she's going to be making some appearances, doing some book signings. I know she'll be in Grand Rapids in August. She's going to be doing some signings. So settle in for kind of a historical look at how one woman became known with really no intention to do so as the Queen of Crafts. And I just have to say, I'm so thrilled to get a chance to talk to you because you are the Queen of Crafts. I mean, you were doing this before Martha Stewart and some of the other folks. I think it's fantastic to see that you've had such a long career, too. And that's also a really good thing. Because I know in TV, you know how that goes. In TV, um, careers can be very short at times, you know. Well, I know. And I'm, and, I'm, and it was, you know, it was all by happenstance. I didn't start out to have a career. Right. I was, you know, I was home taking care of my kids, for crying out loud. This started in Grand Rapids, because I understand that you were actually involved in theater productions. And actually, that is what you really loved as being an actress. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Television is a very poor substitute. Yeah. <laughs> At least when you're playing yourself, which which is what I do. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's not yes, the same. I was, I was very active in the uh, civic theater. Yeah. Did you study theater or was this just a hobby? That's what I had studied in college. And, um, yeah, I couldn't study television. We didn't have television. Exactly. When I was in college. <laughs> Hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> If you could tell the story of how you made the transition from theater to TV, I think people will find that really interesting. Well, of course, most people don't even know. That never even comes up and when I'm talking, when I'm doing interviews, is about my love of theater. But Because that was strictly a hobby, you know. I mean, I wasn't, um, the only thing I did, I did do one summer in, in commercial summer stock. But, um, so I don't ever figure that I was making a transition because, um, as I say, that's just something, you, you know, you did at night as far as civic theater is concerned. But um, the the television bit was just all very accidental. When I was in college, one of the classes I took was interpretive reading. And we had to uh, edit books and so forth and then read them. Anyway, the book I picked, and everybody else was doing these heavy-duty things, I picked Winnie the Pooh. 
so I was very popular at mother-daughter banquets and things <laughs> because they would call and look. And, you know, through, the, uh, through Michigan State University, they had a free speakers bureau. You could get people, you could get some of these students. It would give them experience and it would give the folks a free entertainment. So uh, anyway, I, I was doing Winnie the Pooh all over the place. I could practically recite the whole book by heart. And <laughs> anyway, so now, you know, years go by. I'm back home. I've got two children, and somebody calls me and says they were from, heaven forbid, the University of Michigan. Because <laughs> you went to Michigan they, State. Uh, yeah. They were bringing to, um, to Grand Rapids, they were bringing these Claire Tree Major Plays. Now, I had heard about them when I lived in Milwaukee, even. This was a group, a theater group in New York, and they traveled around the country doing theater in the uh, grade schools. So at any rate, they were coming to Grand Rapids, and um, the group was bringing them with University of Michigan alumni, and they had heard that I did stuff for children somehow, you know, the Winnie the Pooh thing. Mm-hmm. So they wanted, they were looking for somebody to entertain the children during the intermissions. So they wouldn't go run up and down the aisles. <laughs> and I had just met this girl by accident at a party, and she was a very talented, quick sketch artist. And we got to talking. Anyway, she called me and said one day and said, "Guess what? W O O D is going to buy W J E F, and they're going to do live television. Let's go down and audition." The reason she knew that was because her brother-in-law was a weatherman, and they'd called him to come down and do the weather. <laughs> so it's like you got to know somebody. It's the old bit. Yeah, it's not it's, what you know, it's who you know. That's true. Always, you know. Yep. So anyway, we went down and we auditioned basically based on what we'd been doing in the schools. We put together a little thing, you know, really the same kind of stuff we'd been doing for the kids in the schools. Mm-hmm. And they hired us. And it was no surprise, really, when we found out that when WOD went on the air, they were only going to be live for one hour a day. That would be from 5 until 6 o'clock. Well, at that time, what are you going to do? Weather, news, sports, and a children's show. And we happened to show up with a children's show. So they hired us to do do that. And they hired us for three days a week to do a 15-minute show. And then they had also had a ventriloquist audition. So they hired him for the other two days. And they actually hired me for all five days to sort of tie it all together. And so that was the beginning. That was it, where uh, we would write and produce and perform our own shows. Did you read Winnie the Pooh for your audition? No, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) No, we made up our own stories. Oh, I see. Okay. And then she would illustrate them as the kids watched, you know. Oh, cool. We'd say, okay, you know, what's your name? And Susie Jones, okay. And then she'd draw an S and a J and... And I'd make a story, up a story about Susie Jones while she drew the letters and drew things out of the letters. You know? Wow. Well, so. that must have been fun, but also a little bit of pressure to be live. Oh, it was a little bit of pressure. Yeah. yeah. And we did all sorts of things. And uh, every once in a while, we'd have what we called um, a doing day. And that was when we would do something or make something and um, teach the kids how to make something. And that would be actually the very beginning of what we now call crafts. And so you just called it doing day, but would yeah. you, you were making crafts, essentially. Yeah, I couldn't part. tell you a single one that I did. <laughs> you know, and it was, you know, very easy stuff because it was like, you know, for the 8, 10, 12-year-old kids. Now, how did you get from that point, having doing day, to actually becoming the crafting extraordinaire that you are today? 
What happened next? Well, what happened next was that they had me, uh, they that is management there at the station. Funny, you know that tomorrow I'm having lunch with the man who hired me? Really? Yes, I, he lives up in Traverse City. And what, what is his name? His name is Frank Sisson. He was the program director. That's awesome. So you're still in contact. Yep. He and his wife became my very, very closest, closest friends. Oh, how All excellent. through the years. That's wonderful. So anyway, the next thing they had me do was what we called it then anyway, a woman show. I did cooking show. I didn't do the cooking show. They got a lady from the Consumers Power Company who did the cooking, and I would sit there and say, I, what did you say that was? It was three tablespoons of flour that I put in, and then I'd write it down, you know. And I did all the commercials. Uh-huh. And then that was on, got to be on five days a week. And then because we were the furniture market there at the time, why then I got a show doing, um, twice a week I was doing shows about furniture. And so that, let me see, my five shows for the kids, Five shows for Chick Chat was what they named that. What a terrible name. And the announcers hated it, needless to say. So that's 10 shows. Oh, yeah, then they gave me a radio show. I was on a radio show. I forget what they called it first. I went by a different name, Heckman. Hetty Heckman. That's, that was your name on, t- on the radio? <laughs> that, was for, well, that was for the cookies, uh, um, Heckman Cookies. That was a big company there in oh, okay. Grand Rapids. And Hetty Heckman was the, the company, you know, like Betty Crocker. Oh, yes, know. yes. <laughs> so anyway, and then that, that later changed, thank heaven. Um, so as I was doing with the five radio shows and the five kid shows and the five cooking shows and the two furniture shows. So you're up to like 17 shows? I was doing 17 live shows a week. And no one would do that now. And we had one studio. Wow. So at least you didn't have to travel far. No, you just go from one corner of the room to the other. Feet exactly. In fact, we didn't even have any. You know, they come and plug the stove in. We had just plain drapes in the background. They plug the stove in and plug it, (laughs) put it in the refrigerator. And as the the woman who did the cooking said, the only running water we had was that that we ran after, because we'd have to go to the ladies' room to get any water. So anyway, that was yeah, that was the beginning. And I got to tell you. It was fun. Well, it sounds like you had fun. It was. Nobody knew what television was all about. Nobody there at the station had ever done television, including the cameramen and the engineers. Nobody had ever done a live television show. The audience didn't know what it was all about either. You know, that was when you still went down to the corner hardware and put your nose up against the window and looked at the set in the window while, you know... No, it was really, really, really fun. It must be great, too, looking back to, to know that you were part of the, the very beginnings. Oh, of all yes. I'll tell you, at my um, party, that uh, that article was about, because my, my kids gave me a, a wonderful party, and we had, uh, even though the party and everything that happened was kind of a surprise, they had asked me for, you know, who I wanted to come. And you would be surprised at the list of people that we had that were at the station at that time, at, in, in that October day when we first went on the air. And that was, um, let's see here, October 19th, 1951? Yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and, and I'm, still, I'm still in touch with some of those folks. I say Frank Sisson for one, and, and the fellow who was our head of our PR department and his wife, and yeah. So it, it, it's a very, very important part of my entire life. And the girls that I, the reason I mentioned that whole thing was I also, of course, then had 
several of my friends from the Carol Duvall show, and they were all just in awe of these people who had been in television at the beginning. Yeah. You know. It yeah. was. I mean, we did, they did the very first live show ever done in Western Michigan. Right. So this was a big event. Oh, yeah. 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 You were at Wood TV for how long then before you moved on to Detroit? Um, 12 years, I believe. Okay. And so then Detroit did, um, oh, you, you followed, it sounds like uh, Sisson went to Detroit. Yeah, I had no intention. I mean, I, you know, I had, when I started, I was keeping house for my husband, my recently widowed father, my teenage brother, my invalid uncle, and two little kids. Oh, wow. So, you know, no, I was not looking for a career, believe me. How did you find the time? Because you, obviously you had a lot of responsibility. How were you able to... <laughs> yeah. To kind of oh, juggle yeah. it all. Well, I gave up sleeping for a few years. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm kind of in the midst of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I look back and I wonder how in the heck. Um, but, you know, that's what happens when you're young. You can do that. So anyway, I was there 12 years. And then, as they say, I was not looking for a career. But Frank went to Detroit and was made, well, he, he was in radio at first. Then he went to television there at the Detroit News Station and um, was made program director. So immediately, uh, you know, Clark from the PR department and Al Ackerman, the sportscaster, and Carol Duvall, and they used to call Grand Rapids the farm club. <laughs> yeah, they'd recruit. At yeah, from, yeah. yeah, yes. So we, uh, you know, there were, there were a number of us that went to went to Detroit. What did you do right away? What did he have you do over there? What, what, I, what they had me do was, and this was the main reason they called me, and they were going to be doing an hour-long woman's show, they called them. Yeah, they called them all women's shows back yeah. then, yeah. And uh, they wanted me to be the hostess, and there was a guy that had been doing a daily exercise show that was the hit of Detroit television. Ed Allen was his name. Mm-hmm. He was a nice guy, and he was really Mr. Muscles, believe me. All the <laughs> women in Detroit were in love with him. <laughs> and uh, and then they had a woman uh, whose name was Lorene Babcock, and she did sort of an Ann Landers segment. Okay. And so anyway, the three of us did this show, and it was called Living. And that was on for, that was on for six years. Also, during that time, Frank came to me and said, now, we're going to, we want you to do a five-minute show at five minutes of six at night. What they had, at, from five to six o'clock, they had I, probably the most popular show in all of Detroit. It was called George Perot uh, Travels, I guess. Anyway, it was a travelogue show. And it really was. It was just incredibly popular. Everybody in the Detroit area, the Detroit viewing area, knew George Perot, and he was this elderly, very stout gentleman mm-hmm. who'd circumnavigated the earth, what, three different times. And he would just host the show, and then he'd bring in these people with their movies who traveled, and they'd show their movies and and um, tell all their adventures and so forth and show all these travelogues. They were, you know, the local National Geographic. And um, George would sit in his chair and fall asleep while the movie was on. And... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, um, so that was on it from 5 to 6, and then at 6 o'clock they had the news. And then they wanted to open that up so that they could put in more commercials. So if George's show ran from 5 until 5.55, and then they another put a little show in there, and then they had the news, 
See, they could put a commercial on the out of his show and on the in of my show. Okay. And another commercial in my show and then a commercial on the out of my show and another commercial on the in of the news. I see. So all they cared about, they didn't care what I did as long as I didn't lose their audience. <laughs> as long as you kept them enthralled. So that was it. And I was, I was panicky. I was panicky because I didn't know. I'd been on television for 12 years at that time, but it had always been in what I considered... You know, the ladies' viewing time, women's viewing time. And I figured five minutes of six, that was cocktail hour. Or it was when you were just getting ready to sit down at the table. Mm-hmm. Or at, at any rate, the woman was busy in the kitchen. I figured that was the men's time, and I was scared to death. But anyway, I just talked about anything and everything I could think of. And I they called it Here's it. Carol Duvall? Is that what was they... Here's Carol Duvall, yeah. Okay. I talked about a book I'd read, you know, like I was an expert on that. I talked about a movie I'd seen. I talked about anything. And every once in a while, I'd say, hey, do you remember doing this as a kid? And I would make something. Or I would, I mean, here's how desperate I was. I remember even saying, hey, do you remember this trick as a kid? You know, think of a number from 1 to 22, you know, divided by 7. You know those Oh, tricks. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I would do that. <laughs> I mean, nobody was paying attention. As long as the audience was staying there, that's fine. And the more I would do, remember doing this as a kid, and the more response I'd get. And so were you actually doing crafts at that time? Well, we didn't call them crafts. I would just say, remember, doing what, doing what I did as a kid. And then what types of things would you do? Well, I remember I made a Jacob's Ladder. I didn't even know that's what it was called, but mm-hmm. my father had taught me how to do that when I was 10 years old. And I made little yarn dolls, and I did stuff that I had done as a kid or a girl, a brownie, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, then when people were, you know, responding, so there were, at that time that I knew of anyway, two stores in the entire Detroit area that were craft stores. And they contacted me. So believe me, I practically became a live-in resident at those two stores. <laughs> but of course, that's when we had, you know, styrofoam balls and chenille balls and pipe cleaners and, you know, all the, the Cub Scout stuff. Mm-hmm. Popsicle sticks. and So I would make stuff. I, as I say now, I used to make the kind of stuff that gave crafting a bad name. But I was, and I used mostly, I mean, I could go to their store just so often, but mostly I was using all the kind of st- the stuff I had at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was the milk carton queen, I'll tell you that, because the stuff I made out of milk cartons. And I still, I'm so distressed that we don't have the same good, straight up, easy to, to, to cut up milk cartons that we used to have, because man, a lot of good things to be made from those. Yeah, yeah, and it really has changed. Oh, when I, well, and then later on, when Legs Eggs came out, I thought I was going to be out of a job when they stopped making Legs Eggs. I do miss those, too. <laughs> so many things to make with Legs Eggs, you know. Yeah. And then, of course, real eggs. They did all sorts of egg decorating and cutting up and everything. So anyway, that's, uh, that's what, it, it ended up in very short time that that's what that little five-minute show was. It was just me making stuff. And then I would, and then in the fall, I would always show things from the bazaars because they were such a big thing in the entire Detroit area, the church bazaars, you know, Mm -hmm. where they make and sell stuff. Yeah. And, um, and it was, it was a challenge because I'll tell you, a five minute show in television is not a five minute show any more than a 30 minute show is a 30 minute show. Right. 30 minute show is a 22 minute show. And my three minute, my five minute show was really two minutes and 40 seconds. Wow. And the commercial was in the middle of that. 
And so you have to try to get through a whole project yeah. very quickly. Yes. I said those viewers were incredible because how they could understand what I said, much less figure out how to make it themselves, I don't know. But they would send me pictures. They would send me projects. They'd send me stuff they'd made. I'm watching me, and I said they must listen real fast because anyway, that's 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 where it all was. Well, I know that my mother was an absolute huge fan of your show. In fact, she'd love it if you were still on in the Detroit area. I grew up in Metro Detroit myself, and when I told her I was going to interview you, she thought that was pretty fabulous, I have to say. <laughs> and, oh, my God. Is she still around? She's not dead yet? <laughs> oh, no, she's definitely not. Um, yeah, she's um, she's in her 50s, so she's uh, she's going to be around hopefully for a good long time. Yeah, but, I would say but so. But, yeah, the thing she loved about your show is that you, you did use things that were right in the house, yeah. and, and not something you had to run out and buy, you know, hundred dollars worth of supplies to, well, that uh, town, to get you can going. Hardly buy a hundred dollars worth of supplies. That's true. Now you can hardly buy something that isn't a hundred dollars. That's true. That's true. And uh, so your approach was really an approach that you know anybody could do this stuff, and you know you didn't need to have an art degree to do it. And and that's the thing that's so cool about it. And so you did that five minute or actually two and a half minute show um, for fourteen years. No, two and a. Two, two minutes in, and 40 seconds. Two minutes, and I don't want to cut your 10 seconds that off because that's extra. <laughs> meant a heck of a lot. I can imagine it did. And so you did that for 14 years. 14 years, yes. Yeah, and then then what was next? Um, well, then, of course, you see, this was at the time then when the Detroit News was, was switched places with the Washington Post because uh, the ruling came down, the television, the newspaper couldn't own the television station. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And switch and switch. And, of course, you know, the new, new broom always has to sweep clean. <laughs> and um, so even though the first day that the Washington Post came in, they had a, a meeting in the auditorium, you know, ensuring everybody that their jobs were safe, we hardly got back to our desks when the pink slips started coming out. Oh, you know? geez. So um, actually I had a desk job for... A while, and uh, the five-minute show did stay on, but for a while. Um, And then when that went off, I went to. um, Actually, in the meantime, I had started my craft letter, um, a little monthly publication with craft directions in it. And did you just mail that out then? Yeah, people subscribed to it, and ended up with over ten thousand subscribers. Wow! And that was. They were from all over the world, and it was just word of mouth because I didn't do any advertising. And so, did you just send that out from your home, or where, where did you send that out from? Well, the station? Actually, or? I started out on the dining room table, but eventually grew. I actually rented office space. Wow. And I had three girls working for me because I had one girl handling, two girls handling the mail, and one doing the artwork, the illustrations, the how to's. Yeah, wow. And I uh, got my son to do the photography with Polaroid. Polaroid, I'd worked for in the meantime, I was freelance for Polaroid. And uh, they supplied me with all the film, <laughs> you know. So that so anyway, worked. Then I became a regular on Kelly and Company. And it's amazing at WXYZ, it's amazing the number of people that come up to me now and you know, talk about the Kelly and Company. Yeah, I know? used to watch Kelly and Company with my mom, too, yeah. And that so, was another Detroit TV show. They were, yeah, they were at XYZ. And so... Um, you know, I did that. And at the same time, I uh, was hired by uh, the Cleveland station to be on their show. And I was down there. I think I was on every week. I only went down once a month. But I would do one show live and then tape them for the rest of the month. And um, then I started going to different stations around the country. 
they didn't pay. Oh, they maybe paid fifty dollars. Some of them, the real high paying ones, that pay a hundred. But the main thing was they let me sell my craft letter. And oh so yeah, I, I got subscriptions, and that's how. But it was sort of like you know the money would I put in, the, in my right pocket, it would come out of my left pocket. I mean, it was <laughs> you know. Yeah, but it sounds like you had fun with that though too. Oh gosh, yes, and I met so many people, of course, traveling all over the country. People that I you know still bump into because when you're well, actually. The person who interviewed me and did the segment with me in Baltimore was Oprah Winfrey. Wow. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Oh, my gosh. That was when she did the, the uh, she was the hostess, the co-hostess of a morning show. I've seen clips of her on that show. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I used to be a regular on that show. So you were a colleague of Oprah's for a while there. Yeah. Actually, it was always the host, the guy that interviewed me. And then one more, I think, and then all of a sudden it was Oprah. I think it was because I made him so mad one time. What'd you do? Well, um, you know, after all, I was in television and I sort of knew. So when I saw them giving the time signal, I had led to a commercial. Well, that's his job to lead to a commercial. Oh, so you weren't, you weren't going to just like let the man have take charge, which is good for you, Carol. Oh, God, he was furious. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> sure he had to get over it eventually. I was, on, I, was, uh, I was at that station, oh, about four years ago. <laughs> and, and my God, he, you know, he greeted me like an old, old buddy, you know, long-lost friend. Oh, you can keep in touch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because, yeah, because yeah, the thing is, he's probably never um, achieved your level of success in <laughs> Trying to pull a power trip on you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for Pete's I didn't six. even think twice about it. You know, I just obviously... Had... Well, that worked for you, actually. So then you got to talk to Oprah. And Well, at that time, I remember coming home and saying, that show should belong to that. I mean, I'd come home and tell them, you know, where I'd been and who I'd been. I said, the woman that, that, that uh, is the co-host on that show, she's the one that should be in charge. But she was obviously the second banana. I mean, it was his show. Yeah. And I said, she is so good. She should, she's, it should be her show. Well, it looks like you predicted uh, a winner there because she's. Well, I wasn't the only one in the family because then when she finally left and went to Chicago, and I have family in Chicago, and, and when I went down to visit my cousins, and my cousin Mary said to me, oh, Carol, we have got a woman now that just came down, and she started a new show. She's only been on the air a couple of weeks in Chicago. She said, she is so good, you would love her. And that's who it was. It was yeah. Oprah. Wow. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, because her story is so interesting as well. And it, oh, yeah. And how cool for you to get to, to see these people that, you know, through your career you've been able to just rub elbows with some pretty phenomenal individuals. And Well, actually, when I was in Detroit, I really, um, uh, you know, I just really talked to a lot of fantastic people because, number one, theater was my great love, and that's Detroit was a tryout town. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just, you know, we had Sammy Davis, and we had Joni Rivers, and we had Phyllis Diller, and well, they were in the nightclubs. Mm-hmm. But uh, all those, uh, Steve Allen and the different, the big names that came to, to the Fisher Theater. And we always always had the stars from whatever show was playing. And you get to interview them. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That's pretty cool. So you've had quite, I mean, what a whirlwind. And of course, at that point, you probably never imagined that your claim to fame was going to be crafting. Or did you? Did you at some point realize oh, that? Oh, no. No, I mean, each step of the way, it just sort of happened. And I, I just, no, I never thought, 
or even desired to go beyond where I was. I mean, after all, I still had a husband and a couple of kids. Yeah. You know, no, I really, I really, really didn't. I was enjoying it and considering myself very lucky and it was fun, but that was, that was it. And uh, then, of course, in the middle of everything, my marriage did break up, but that was going to happen whether I was working or not. And even that was as smooth as smooth something like that can be. You know, we remained friends and. Well, that's nice, for oh, the, yeah. especially well, for, for the, the kids. kids too, yeah, you know, definitely. Feel comfortable being with either their mother or their dad. I mean, they lived with me, of course, but, you know, so anyhow, there there I was. And let me see, then, then of course, bit by bit, those local shows went off the air. You know, they used to have them in every city. Right. And uh, when I used to do some freelance work every now and then for Polaroid, when they'd come out with a new product, and they'd send me around the country, and I'd spend two weeks just being on one show after another after another, but a lot of that all dried up because the local shows went. I don't imagine, you don't have one in Grand Rapids, right? I think they have one show that's like a local, it's very short though, and it's not at the same caliber of what you're talking about where every city would have several local shows because it's not, everything's network now, you know. Um, we're all watching Oprah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I love. I mean, I love watching Oprah, but it obviously, you know, if you have that hour dedicated to a national show, you're not going to have your own local right, show. Right. Yeah. So you, at that point, you had your... Well, actually, what I was doing then, uh, was my, what I was living on then was the craft letter. Okay. And, and Did that bring in enough income to, like, support you? Well, no, it, it sort of did, but... It was mainly also, I, as I say, I, I would work a few weeks here and there for, like, for Polaroid. Okay. And things like that. But mainly it was the craft letter, yeah. Yeah. And that one was, oh, my gosh, I was selling those so cheaply. I, it's just unbelievable. How much were you selling it for? Well, they started out at a quarter. Oh, wow. And then I'm trying to get, like, a, a year's subscription was, like, $5. Wow, twelve. I, so you get twelve and issues. And even though for everything, dollars. of course, was cheaper then, that was ridiculously cheap. <laughs> and anyway, then I, I, um, the, the urge came to to move up north. I mean, I'd been vacationing here. I had property up here. I had a cottage up here. And I said, you know what? The way things are in my life now, um, I can go up there. I'd always wanted to come up here. So when was it that you moved up there? Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was six. Or was it seven? No, it must have been 79. Were your kids grown by then? Oh, yeah. 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 Both of them. One of them was in the Air Force and one of them was married. And by the time I moved up here, he actually beat me to it, he and his wife. Oh, they were already up there. Yeah. So actually, there was a while there when when I I was, you know, uh, alone because Michael got married. Well, he lived in, he and his wife lived in Royal Oak for a while. Before I got managed to get my house completely built, they moved up. So they're just around the corner from me. Oh, that's really nice. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. So it worked out very well. And so, so especially since he married a girl that I absolutely adore. That's another bonus. Yeah. And her mother went to work for me, and she and I became the closest, closest friends. My best friend. Wow. How wonderful. Yeah, it was absolutely perfect. It really was. That's great. So, uh, so I said, you know, if I'm going to be traveling all over the country, it doesn't make where I live. As long as I'm within driving distance of an airport. Sure. You know, so I did. I moved up here. And I, gosh, I hadn't been up here very much, very long when I get a call from ABC. And the guy that called me to tell me that ABC was going to start this new show, this new morning show, and they were going to call it the home show. 
and uh, they needed a craft person, and they wanted to know if I'd come out and do the pilot. Wow. Now, the guy that called me, I said to him, Danny, my father always said to me, be nice to the office boy. You never know when he's going to be the boss. Because the kid that called me was second in command to the head of production of the new show right. he was putting on. And he had been the intern at the station in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. And then he became the producer of Kelly and Company in Detroit. Okay. And all these, uh, that time, of course, I was doing those shows. Uh-huh. So you knew this guy. And then over the years, he and I kept in touch. And he was one that was at my party. Wow, that's great. And it, I think that's great advice, too, because I think sometimes people can be a little bit snippy and rude to the people that they perceive, like the people emptying the wastebaskets and people fetching coffee. And, exactly. And, and it's exactly. like, I, and it's always, I think that's always a very bad idea. That wasn't, that wasn't, of course, why I was nice to him. I was nice to him just because... Well, it's the right thing to do. You're supposed to be nice to everybody. Yeah, it's the right thing but to that do. Was, that was what came to my mind, my father telling me that. When yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So actually, so that was when the home show came about. And, um, and of course, that was on ABC. Mm-hmm. And then that was, oh, that was just a fantastic period of my life because that show was just such fun. Talk about meeting stars. We had big stars on the show all the time. But also the people that I worked with were just so fabulous. And last week or two weeks ago when I was in New York, I had dinner with one of my friends from there and... Others are I'm just in touch with all the time. It was it was it was an incredible show, and I'm sorry you probably never heard of it. You know, it, I I've actually <laughs> heard of it, but I don't recall seeing it. But, well, um... it was on for six years, which is not a bad period of time. And when they took that show off the air, and the network took it off, oh, the viewers all but stormed the gates. And actually, the show was canceled, and the viewers raised such a stink that they renewed it. Now, you know, that's unusual. That doesn't It's very happen. unusual. But by that time, unfortunately, a lot of the local stations had already signed contracts for their next year. So even though the show went back into production, those folks had already signed with other shows to fill that time slot. So there was no way we could ever really get the ratings back oh, up again yeah. where they had been. Um, so then after another couple of years, it did go off. But then they put on show after show after show and never came up to our ratings until The View. It's the first show that came up to our ratings. And, of wow. course, now I'm sure they've surpassed it because that's – but that's the time slot we were in. Well, you guys probably didn't scream and fight with each other enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you ever try to attack anyone with scissors or anything? <laughs> Call no, it, call somebody a terrorist. I don't think we did. There were there were, a few, <laughs> there were a few times when they cut my time and I screamed and hollered and used a bit of profanity. <laughs> but uh, but that was that was a, just such a great, wonderful, fun show. Well, uh, Rob Weller was the host for the first couple of years, and then Gary Collins and everybody at that time knew Gary Collins because he'd had a, an everyday show for years on the network. Anyway, it was fabulous. Now, that was a live show. So I would drive down to the Manistee Airport, get on that little eight-seater airplane. Oh, goodness. Fly to Chicago, get on the big airplane, fly to, to, uh, to Hollywood, do the show the next morning, and then go directly to the airport and fly back. So for a whole year, I was flying to Los Angeles every week. Wow. 
And uh, then in between times, the producer would send me out on field pieces. So I was in the air more than I was on the ground. Wow. Finally, my, my son said, Mom, you realize who's making money on this new job of yours, don't you? It's the airlines. I said, yeah, that's right. Right. So anyway, we made a deal, and they got me an apartment and a car and everything, and I actually then actually moved out there. But um, part of my deal was that I could come home once a month, and it was a good thing because, boy, when that four weeks could come to an end, I would just chomping at the bit to get home. Yeah. If you're up on the big lake, you know, that's oh, relaxing. Yeah. yeah. No, I just absolutely loved it here. So so that was that was the way my life was for six years, and it was it was just fabulous. It was such a great, fun show, and we traveled. I mean, like, at first he took the show, Woody took the show, Woody being the producer. We spent, all of us went and spent a week in um, Kanab, Utah. And we spent a week in Hartford, Connecticut. We spent a week in Minneapolis. We, I mean, we go on the road the whole show. Wow. And oh, my Lord, it was fun. It yeah. sounds fun. No, would you do crafts from each city then? Is that, yes, yeah. Yes. Uh huh. So just uh-huh. find people that were the local crafters and get them on the show? And... Um, not usually. They had a lot of, they would have local people on the show, yes. But um, once in a while, they would try to, I, I, maybe I would work with them or else I would just get some of their stuff and learn how to do it or whatever. There were just different different things that we did. I would do field pieces, but they would be an addition to my craft segment. I see. So it was a little more work, but it sounds like you had a great adventure. Oh, absolutely. And then, in fact, and he took us all to Hawaii for crying out loud. I wouldn't complain about that, yeah. No, and he <laughs> sent me, you know, they sent me ahead, a, a week ahead of time so that I could acclimate myself and the people I would be interviewing there. And, of course, the producers are the ones that line up a lot of those. Right. Yes, for you. So you got to just kind of chill and have fun. Oh, fabulous. And and then also, I was home the weekend or two weeks before we were going to go, and I mentioned to my kids, I said, you know, Woody said a lot of them are going along because they want to go. And they looked at me, and I said, wait, would you want to go? And they looked at me like I was really crazy. (laughs) Well, yes, we'd like to go. <laughs> I said, oh, well, okay. So they came to Hawaii with us. That's great. I can't imagine now when I think back, why would I not think they'd love to go? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that the home show, it was canceled in 94. That was canceled in April of 94. And by June of 94, I was in the middle of taping the Carol Duvall show. Wow. So I did that. I did the whole first season of the Carol Duvall show while I was still living in my apartment and packing to come home. Wow. So you knew you'd be back. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah and that was. Never, of course, um, see, the whole difference is the Carol Duvall show was taped. Okay. So I never had to move out there. I mean, I would go out there for six weeks at a time. Okay, and tape all the shows. Tape, tape um, yeah, 65 shows. Wow. That's a lot. Wow, that's really a lot. And so, and that was for the Home and Garden t- uh, Television. Yes. And um, and that's how long did you have that gig? Because that you were doing that for up until just recently. Yeah, that actually, I taped the show for twelve years or ten years, but they ran it for thirteen. So okay. They just took it off in March. Okay, so you haven't taped for a few years though. I, I stopped taking in November of two thousand four, but uh, at the time that I quit or that they stopped doing my show, there were 145 shows that had never aired, hadn't aired yet. Oh, wow. So, you know, they could keep running new ones for a while. And then they started really rerunning and rerunning and rerunning. 
and now they're still on DIY. Mm-hmm. And so what led you to stop doing uh, the oh, show? Oh, and they're also on the Internet. Yeah, I did see that on HGTV, yeah, yeah on, their, on their website, um, yeah. Well, they just, they just, they just said that was the end. Yeah, so it wasn't your choice then? No, it was not my choice. Yeah, well, that's too bad. That really well, is too yeah, bad. It, it was, and yet, at the same time, I felt the show, we needed new things. We needed some new ideas, we needed, and we had new ideas. We had some terrific ideas, I thought, but they were going to cost money. Yeah. And uh, that wasn't going to happen. So uh, even though I really wasn't ready to quit the show, I was ready to quit the show if they weren't going to put some more time and money into it. I see. I mean, we needed a new set. We needed a new theme. We needed a new opening. Not that those are going to change the content of the show, but you, you need that it to give it a fresh it a little look, bit. Yeah. a fresh sound. And then we had some fresh ideas that we needed to incorporate. Mm-hmm. We were going to incorporate the viewers some more in the show. But all that stuff costs money. And right. It, I was so spoiled because while we worked for the uh, the internet, when we worked for the the network ABC, oh man, we spent money like drunken sailors. <laughs> you know, traveling all over and doing all that stuff. Whereas when you're working for a cable station, it's a whole lot different. Yeah, the budget is not as big for sure. Oh no. Yeah. Well, you had a good long run. I mean, you were on TV for over fifty years. Oh yeah. And are you still doing some TV stuff now? No, I'm, um, I just finished my book. Which we definitely need to talk about. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I am going out to um, San Francisco in July to uh, host a DVD. Okay, so it's going to be something that people can just purchase, uh, a crafting DVD? Yes, yes, yes. What, what sort of crafting? Well, actually, the woman that's doing this, Paige Sage is the name of the company. And she has done a lot of um, DVDs with different artists. There's Judy Belcher did one on polymer clay, and mm-hmm. Lisa Pavelka did one on polymer clay. Both Lisa and Julie, Judy were guests on my regulars on my show. Okay. Um, she did one on a DVD with um, on paper folding with Karen Thomas. Well, Karen was another regular from my show. She did one with Tim Holtz, who was a very popular regular on my show. So she's done about. Uh, 10 or 12, uh, and working on more craft DVDs, but usually with one artist per tape or Mm -hmm. per DVD. This one that we're going to be doing is called Art Unscripted, and there are going to be eight of those people on it, each of them with a different specialty, each of them with a different technique they're going to teach. Very cool. And you're going to host them. While they're going to be showing a bunch of different projects you can do using that technique, they're all going to be working toward one big project. Oh, wow. That will use, that all of them will contribute to. Well, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, and I will be hosting it and interviewing them and, you know, sort of like my show. Yeah. Well, they can't keep a good talent down, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they asked me for something, this is something different, something new. But the big thing is, I'm going to be seeing a lot of my friends again. Yeah. Well, and I even fun. mentioned them, and they're gonna—they're hiring the same little gal that did all my hair and makeup for all of my shows. Oh, that's nice. Going back to the home show, and then the Mike's show, and then the shows that I've done at different places—they—they're calling her in, and so yeah, it's always kind of fun to catch up. So, do you consider yourself retired now, or or semi-retired? I, or? You know what? I—I I, people ask me that, and I—I I just sort of hem and haw and say, well, not really. 
Because <laughs> it sounds like when the phone rings and it's a cool opportunity, you're not going to say no. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of it. I'm kind of getting but that I vibe really from you. I have so many things here at home that I not only need to do, but there are things that I really want to do. Like I what? I really want to do. Like what? Well, like, this sounds like hokey, but I really want to get my photographs in order. I have literally thousands. I have, as a matter of fact, and just came across them recently, over 3,000 slides. Wow. It was a period in my life when I was taking slides. And, you know, what the heck are all these pictures going to be worth when everybody's dead that's in them? <laughs> You know, I really want to get them together and, and have some fun looking at them with the people that are in them. Right, right. And remembering and stuff like that. So I, I really want to do that. I made a first start. I've got them all out of all the drawers and things, and they're all down here in my craft room, but there's, you know, 89 boxes of them. <laughs> so, so stuff like that. There are really things I want to do. I want to do some more writing. What kind of writing? Well, I want to do some writing for myself, just about leaving things I remember. Mm-hmm. Things I remember. Well, I'm sure you have some wonderful stories of just some, just from your, you know, your career and like just your experiences just in your life. So that'd be great to have some time to just relax and look at the the water and and write. You know, exactly. So exactly. Yeah, you got it right there. Yeah. Well, that'll that'll be great, and I'm sure your kids would appreciate that too. Um, I do have a question before we move on to talk about your book. I, I, I'm curious about, I mean, you did shows every day for a good long time, and you did, taped all these shows for HGTV and, you know, ABC. And where did you get all your ideas from? Because that's got to be quite a bit of pressure to have to come up with something, you know, a new twist on something every single day. Well, at times it would get that way. At times I would absolutely know I'd use the last idea there ever was. I was never going to ever have another idea. <laughs> And that goes way back to the very beginning when I was doing the show. Of course, there were so many years when I was the only person working on it, the only person, until until I went to the network. I never had anybody else, really. I had some help when I was doing the my craft letter. Mm-hmm. But other than that, but then there's been so much help. And once you sit down and start talking and throwing out ideas... You know, once an idea comes, and then another one, and then another one. And, of course, originally when I started, my ideas would have to come. I, I would, you know, it wasn't, what can I make? It was, what can I make out of that? Right, right. You know, a new, a new product would come on the market. I didn't care what the product was, but when I saw how it was packaged, that's what could get about me. <laughs> so that was the craft supplies, you the know. packaging, yeah. And, um, but, no, absolutely, you feel like you're hitting a brick wall at times. And in my book, it's amazing how many ideas started way back when. I mean, I've got, a, I've got another version of the Jacob's Ladder, and when did I tell you I did that on television? Right, way yeah. in the beginning. And when did I tell you I learned that? I was 10 years old. So there are a lot of different versions, of course. I have to keep remembering to say, now you can do this with your Xyron machine, or you can do this with your Sizzix machine. Right. You know, because, you know... I use scissors. <laughs> I use my hands. Right. I don't even think of all that stuff. Well, what do you make of that? Because the craft industry now is so huge, and there's this just overpowering, at times, marketing effort where 
the message to people. I mean, they go into these big box craft stores and I know, I don't know about you, but I go in there sometimes and just feel completely overwhelmed where you almost forget why you're there. Like you need some ribbon and you come out with like, you know, 50 bucks of other stuff and you're like, how did this happen? Absolutely. I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, do you still kind of hold to the the tradition you've always kind of, I mean, the thing that made you so loved and popular um, is the fact that you were making things out of household goods and packaging and milk cartons and not feeling like you had to have a Zyron machine and all these things. I mean, do you still feel like you're still crafting that same way? Well, it's natural to me. I have to try and force myself when I'm doing, as I say, this book to remember to mention the Zyron, to mention the physics, because people don't want stuff if they think it's old news. Right. So it behooves me to say, now, I still hold the fact that not everybody can afford the physics. Not everybody can. I mean, my God, that really can add up a lot when you get those die cuts. that's true. And it's not necessary. So what I've done in most cases is I'll just say, you know, I cut this and I'll put a little PS on. Oh, if you've got a Xyron machine, this works well. Right. You know, I really didn't. I I don't know when I put it down here. Um as a required bit of material. Well, people probably really appreciate that because there are a lot of people who don't own these machines. And um, I know I personally don't have one. Um, I've tried them out at those craft uh, expos and all that, and they're fabulous. But I've gotten by without one. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it does add up. And I think the thing that makes crafting really fun for people is when it's accessible to everyone. And I think that's one of the things that's been really one of your your hallmarks is that you've done crafts that have been accessible to everyone. You know, everyone can do this. So that's one of the things I think people really appreciate about your work. Well, thank you. I think that some of this stuff can uh, help you with some of the tools, as it were. Uh, if you it can help give you that little more professional look. Mm-hmm, for sure. But on the other hand, I spent one show just teaching people how to cut with scissors because mm-hmm. I discovered people don't know how. And that, oh, gosh, when you get stuff and it's not cut well with scissors, that's as amateur, that's as careless, that says all sorts of things right there. Mm-hmm. If you cut well, and if you don't want to take the time to learn to cut well, well then, then find a scissors is ideal for you. Plus, you can do more complicated designs and things like that. There's no question. But they're not necessary. The thing that's, that is... It has helped a lot of people with some of those machines is that they can make things look not like they're made by loving hands at home. Right. <laughs> it, it, it does way, have a know. very finished. But on the other hand, as I, you know, I used to just, you know, have it all but printed on the walls. Neatness counts. Mm-hmm. If you'll just take the time to not let the glue show and to, you know, fold neatly and use your folding bone or your fingernails or a dinner knife or whatever. Um, and score before folding and all those things. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that make it look good. Well, what do you make of this whole craft frenzy that seems to be going on? And it's been going on for a while now where people... craft what? It's kind of like a frenzy where a lot of people are really suddenly crafting. I know I've made... I've been into crafts since I was a child and learned from my great-grandmother and my mother and some of my great aunts. It's just been part of my kind of family heritage. But there's some folks who've come to like the knitting and crocheting and, and all these other art and craft forms very recently. What do you make of this? Was it this popular when you first got started? Oh, no. No, no, no. And and I think a lot had to do with it was this these new materials because people could make really decent-looking things that didn't look like loving hands at home with some of the materials, not just the tools, but some of the materials. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my book, I talk about the fact that, you know, 
I, I started with paper. Well, that's because what we that's what we had. But we also, you know, had tissue paper, instruction paper, and typing paper. And now, look at the papers they've got. Oh yeah, I mean, it's so, really fabulous. So I think, and that's just one product I'm talking about. So I think that a lot of it uh, has to do with what is available to the crafters to work with, so that they can make nicer things. I think that our show played a very big part in it because we had people on that were good at what they did and they made wonderful things and they were good teachers. My producers were so good and they taught those guests how to demonstrate and how to really make it clear to the viewer. Mm -hmm. And when you break anything down, I mean, some of the gorgeous things that some of our polymer clay people have made. But when you break it down step by step, as Donna did and Judy did, uh, and they can see, oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And they will be good-looking things if they practice. Right. But I don't know. The craft industry, though, is complaining and carrying on that things are bad because, you know, scrapbooking is what sort of took over. Yeah, it has kind of taken over. Who were your contemporaries at the time? I mean, you got started, you know, going around nationally, showing people on, on TV how to do craft projects. Was there anybody else doing this? Because you were doing that before Martha Stewart, correct? Oh, long before long Martha before. Stewart. Yeah. yeah, well, the thing is, see, I'm not a craft person who got into television. Right, you're a television Remember, person. television, yes. Television was what I was in. Right. So that gave me that advantage. I mean, I think it was easier to become a crafter than it is to become a good television person. And all you have to do is look at some of the craft shows that are on now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a natural thing to just go on TV. And, and you need a standard of quality. This is, what, this is what's breaking my heart right now. I think it's good to have these, I would say, starter kits. The starter for people who... For the younger ones, number one, that's what they want. They want the younger ones. The television stations do. They want the younger ones. So, and fine, that's great because we want the younger crafters too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got to set a standard of quality for them. And that I'm not seeing so far. With some of these new shows? Where they're really teaching, really teaching a technique and a kind of thing. I mean, my, my audience surpassed me by far. Not everybody, of course, but I mean the ones that would see something and technique or whatever and and really devote themselves to learning it, and, mm-hmm. you know? Well, you were kind of moving on to the next craft for the next show. I mean, you didn't have the time to become exactly. a perfectionist. Exactly, and our viewers on. would say, ooh, I really like that. I think I want to do some more of that. Mm-hmm. And then they would. And they're, I mean, the stuff that they would send to me or the photographs, they're excellent, and now that's what they want. They want to continue. They don't want to regress. They want the next course. Right. And I hope to gosh that they get a television show out there where they do that. Mm-hmm. And, and where they have the quality of guests, the expert people that are so good at what they do. Well, did you ever get a chance to meet Martha Stewart if your paths ever crossed? The only time our paths ever crossed was years ago when I was doing the home show. And she was a guest on the home show. Oh, really? And I didn't meet her at the time. I just 
you know, was there yeah. on the same stage. She's, you know, into the cooking and the basically everything to do with a home situation and then the crafting as well. But did you ever see her as, as someone that was doing kind of the same thing? Or? Not at all. No, and particularly then, because it was all about cooking and uh, the things that were, well, mainly cooking at that time. And that's what she was a guest on the show for, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, now, of course, you know, she's totally into it. You know, she's got a whole line of stuff out there. Right. Yeah, so it sounds like you were just kind of out there doing your thing. And uh, this TV career kind of led you into crafts. And you've just embraced it. And your viewers embraced you in turn, you know, which is kind of cool to see that happen. How are people taking to the fact when they realize when people stop you and, and ask about, you know, why you're not taping new shows. I mean, how are people responding? Oh, they're very unhappy about it. Yeah. They're very, very unhappy. And I don't blame them because, I'm not, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about those people that were our guests on the show uh, and that were such good teachers. Mm-hmm. And that's what, they, that's what they miss. And I don't blame them at all. I'm, I, I think it's very frustrating because you can have all the books in the world, you can have all the products in the world, you don't have somebody showing you how to use them. You know, and to pique your your imagination. That's what so many women would write in and say, I saw that show that you did with so-and-so. It gave me an idea, and I made, that's that's what excited me. Mm -hmm. They didn't make carbon copies. They took what they could use from it and what was of interest to them and made their own. Well, and I think that's really cool, and I think this might be a good segue into your Paper Crafting with Carol Duvall book. And it's really cool stuff, and it's all paper, all paper crafting, which seems to be a favorite of yours. Yes. Yes. Is that, if you had to sum it up, would you say this is your absolute favorite craft? Well, I was assuming that my first book would be, you know, all sorts of crafts, all Mm -hmm. sorts of different kinds of crafts. But they said they wanted it all on paper. And first I thought, well, no, no, no. And then I thought, well, no, that makes sense, basically. Uh, even though I, uh, you know, it's to please them, it's fine for me because that's where I started with most of my stuff. Mm-hmm. And so this was a natural fit for you to do. Yes, as I said earlier, that's what I had. Right, there weren't all these doodads and, and embellishments and so forth that you yeah. could buy. And so you have more than forty-five projects in here, and they range from everything from changeable placemats. I thought would be great with my kids' artwork. They might really yeah. enjoy making some placemats using just the clear acetate, which is kind of cool, you know, because you're sewing around the edge. And then you're leaving one side open to slide in. Is that how you're doing that? Exactly, yes. Very cool. It's just so fun and it's easy. No, that's why I had the different versions. You can do it on your sewing machine or you can punch bigger holes and the kids can do it with yarn. Yeah, or it looks like you have maybe electrical tape around one side or just some kind of tape. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. One is uh, obviously drawing. Some are stickers, and the balloons and the teddy bear I cut out of contact paper, I think. The teddy bear I just drew, of course, photographs. And then on another one, I had wallpaper on the backside, or I had, you know, Happy Easter. You can do them for Christmas, whatever, because you just do them on a single sheet of paper and slip it in. You can slip two pieces of paper in. And then the acetate, where do you get that? Uh, in the big sheets like that, I got mine at the art supply store. Okay, so you just buy it in a big sheet. And as a matter of fact, yeah, you can buy it in big sheets, but sometimes, now recently when I tried uh, at the store I tried at, I could just get it in, you know, you buy it by the foot. Oh, yeah, um, okay. But when I made this one, uh, and I still have a couple pieces left, I bought it in a tablet. Oh, okay. That was that size. Interesting. Yeah, and it's big enough to be, because I think any placemat really should be 18 inches. I think they're 18 inches long. Yeah, you need the space to actually be able to put this silverware yeah, in the Yeah, and that's, what's, that's what the um, 
That's what the size of the tablet was. Well, and this is a cool project because you can use it. Adults can decorate their table with this, or um, it's great for kids, too, which is yeah. really cool. And I love the coffee filter flowers. Oh, those were really funny. Cute. Yeah, those are really cute. And I like the art in miniature on page 144 where you're taking pictures of art. And oh, then... yes. Now, see, I did that. I had to adapt that because I did that with my regular 35 millimeter. The first time I did that with some of my kids' stuff, that was long before we had digital cameras. <laughs> and so the idea, what is your intention behind this? If you want to explain that for the folks at home so they know what we're talking about here. What you, you're taking a piece of, uh, of child's artwork. Well, because the kids want their artwork up on the refrigerator. Right. Well, after the first four weeks of school, you got your refrigerator covered. <laughs> right. And if you've got three kids, you know... This way, you can get everybody's artwork up there, and you still have some of your refrigerator left. Right. You're printing it out on adhesive-backed magnetic sheeting. So you don't have to print it out on anything. Yeah, and then you just stick the magnets on the back. There's adhesive-backed magnet sheets. Mm-hmm. So you can just uh, slap it up there on the fridge, and everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can make those pictures any size. I mean, you can make them the full four by six, mm-hmm. you know, of your uh, that, that most cameras, and it, whether you get the pictures at the store, whether you do them yourself. Four by six is a good size, and there's no reason they can't do them that big, too. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing you could do with these, if you don't want to put them on a refrigerator, if you print them out four by six, you could get one of those, just a, a photo album, Absolutely. and put those see, in there. See, you've already got, you've added your own idea to this. Well, already. I think, and that's the beauty of these craft books, is that everybody who opens a cover is going to bring something to it, and that's what I love about art and craft. It's like a book of inspiration, which I just absolutely love the whole concept. And uh, there are several projects in here that I thought were great. And actually, probably what made me think of the photo book is on page 155, you have the ABC book, which is really cool. It looks like a viewer from Florida had sent in an idea to make one of those, like the A is for Apple, you know, B is for Oh, Bob. wasn't that a terrific idea? And that is so, and my daughter's three, Abby's three, and I think she would love when her sister's taking a nap, her little sister Amelia is 18 months, and when she's taking a nap, I think, uh, you know, Abby and I like to do little projects, and this would be a great project because we could go through the old magazines and, you know, look for some pictures to cut out and put in a little photo album. And you can always add more, you know. Absolutely, just... and the thing is you'll have a much better time. It was very hard for me to find an interesting page to use that I could use because I have to be so careful of copyright. Oh, yeah. If I use any picture that is recognizable... You know, I've got to find out where that came from. I mean, I, from a card or I mean, it's really, oh, really Oh, it tough. had to be, yeah. And, yeah, for home purposes, if you're not. So, yeah, about. these weren't necessarily my favorite pages, but uh, but they had to be were the ones that I thought we could get away with. <laughs> well, the idea still comes across. And I thought the one that I never, ever even thought of, not to say I thought of the other 44 ideas myself, which I did not, but the one that I really was like, wow, I never even thought of that, the crafting with envelope linings, which I thought was really quite an interesting idea. Oh, my gosh, I do, too. Martha and Sanders. Those, and those pictures that we have there yeah, this, are actual pictures that the viewer had sent in. I mean, the pages. Yeah, I mean, those are just, I mean, because she basically took the, like, when you get bills, and you ha- they have this interesting, this more security, like, for security, they put I these interesting I, patterns I've never, there. I've never looked twice at them before. No, I just noticed, okay, they're blue, and they're there for security, so no one can, like, steal your social security number off of something. But she just added, it looks like she just used felt-tip pens with different and, widths. And, oh, my gosh. Cheryl and I just went bananas over that. We made pages and pages of this stuff. We had the best time with it. And then I was so excited and to put it in the book. And you know that last month on one of the rubber stamping magazines, they had a whole double-page spread of cards made with uh, envelope lining? Oh, wow. Well, I said, you know what? And Cheryl said, 
They saw your show. That's where they got the idea. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, that's that's interesting. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, a good idea doesn't stay uh, um, in your possession for long, you no. know, because it does seem to travel. Uh, and I like just the organization idea that you had a, a, a good uh, idea to put your stamps, uh, organize them, you have all the flower ones in one Ziploc bag. But to do them like that in that Ziploc bag and just stand them up, it's so My gosh, logical. what a good idea. Because usually what happens is people have them in a big bin and they're thrown all around and it's just a big mess. So if you're well, trying to make and it- I had them. Now, I kept them in. I have these big, they're good size anyway, the kind of trays that you buy in the summertime so they're like you're going to be eating outdoors. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, those nice trays. But the thing of it is, and I, I stamped them all in just the way as I did here, um, that is arrange them all but then stamp the image on the cardboard yeah that's so that great then you know where they go back right so you don't have to sit there um, but, and put them together but the thing of it is i'd stack those trays well then you still have to know you have to unstack them every time right whereas these they're so handy you just pull them out right and they have written uh like flowers yes. and baby and different whatever the subject matter inside is. Yeah. So it's a great idea. I think anything crafters can do to organize because I'm organizationally very challenged. Oh, so, well, I so. love doing that. And this and this idea was just such a good one. A viewer had sent in, and as I say, she sent it in because she was moving frequently. Her husband, I didn't say this, but her husband was in the in the army, so they moved frequently. So it was packing and unpacking all these stamps, and then finding where to put them in the new house. She came up with this idea, and I said, I don't move, uh, but th- I-, I still keep my stamps that way now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got some units on my wall that I keep them in, but these are, these are gr- this is a great idea. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic, and I also love the um, desktop calendar idea on the next page. Oh, that uh, was cute. Yeah, and this is just making a personalized calendar that stands up and using uh, rubber stamps, but you could also collage or do whatever. And where are you getting, let's see, the calendar style, are you... Printing those, I didn't, uh, wasn't paying attention. Oh, the calendars. No, they're rubber stamps. They're the, well, the computer, um, you get the actual calendar. There's computer programs oh, the com- that will yes, give you those. Yes, and I didn't say where because there are just so many different places. So you just find, uh, there's plenty available online, and you too. Just, you know, you go to the search engine, and I kept saying, well, Cheryl, tell me, where did you find these? Where did you find these? She's, well, just just look. <laughs> yeah. So I did, and I bought it. I got a half a dozen different ones that were could have been usable, you know. Yeah, well, these look great, and it's basically just use your stamps or, you know, collage, or you can even do it with photographs. But what a great thing to give somebody in January or a Christmas present is a personalized uh, desk calendar. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's something that is very thoughtful, and it's one of a kind. If you Well, you could make multiples the same, but you can make a very nice personal um, gift for somebody. And so in this book, there are plenty of ideas to kind of get people started. Um, if they want, don't want to recreate the exact project and just want to kind of get going, I mean, there's plenty of things to keep them busy and occupied. So I'm enjoying the book for sure. And I'm curious, are you planning to do more of these books? Probably. I, I know. I, I think I have a contact that says I'm supposed to. But I think, you know, a lot depends... <laughs> Uh, on how this one goes. Yeah. You know. Now, I will tell you, the one thing, um, you have the regular soft cover book, right? I do, yes. That's what all the stores are going to have. But I have a copy of one thing I insisted on, and they printed up some, but I don't know where they're going to be unless you order them special, with the hardcover and a spiral binding on the inside. Oh, yeah, that would be ideal. It is ideal. It is, the, and I just, it made me a little disappointed. They say, well, 
you know, Michaels wouldn't want to carry them because they know that 19.95 is the cutoff price. And I said, my viewers will pay 24.95 to get a, the other kind. And I, the thing that's upsetting me is that I don't know how anybody's going to know that those are available. Now, where do you think they can get the spiral bound? The only answer I've been able to get from the publisher is to ask the bookstore for the spiral bound. And they bound. can order them. Can people order them directly online too? They can order them from HGTV. When I'm making projects, I really prefer the spiral binding because oh, yeah. it's just and so for much easier. Five extra dollars? Yeah, it saves some headaches. So, because um, then otherwise, what you end up doing is ruining the book by yeah. increasing it. And I am a, kind of a stickler for that. I like to keep my craft books in pristine condition. Yes. <laughs> They're like my friends. I, I don't want to manhandle them. the fact that it's so much more convenient when you're making the project. Right, right, exactly, because you can open the book and it lays flat and you don't have to worry about it closing on you. It's They're wonderful. Spiral binding is very good. So, well, we will um, I'll definitely put the word out of where people can, um, you know, get your book. And I hope you do come out with some more. Thank you. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you have any, any observations or what do you think is going to happen next in this whole uh, crafting boom? Do you think that people are going to continue? Like, it's going to continue to be as popular as it is right now? Oh, I think so. I think like a lot of things, this fluctuates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I think it's just something that's sort of an innate thing that people like to make things, and they like to, to feel a sense of accomplishment. Uh, they like to get complimented on what they've done. I think it's like taking a casserole to the PTA uh, dinner and people raving about what you brought. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel good about that. And I also think that when you take the casserole, that, 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 that's a, that may be a recipe that somebody gave you, but that you may have also made some changes in. Yeah, I Just like the craft thing. I mean, I compare the two, uh, and... And yes, I think that going way back to the early days of our country, you know, the women did all these wonderful things. They did it then because they had to. Mm-hmm. We're so fortunate. We do it because we want to. Mm-hmm. That is the beauty of it. And we know that crafts go back in every country as far as history. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yeah, it may fluctuate the popularity and the money spent, but I think it's always going to be with us. Yeah. And what is your favorite thing to make? Well, my answer is always, and I don't, and I mean it sincerely, whatever I'm working on at the time. <laughs> but, you know, given my druthers, I'm very anxious to get back to knitting. Yeah. And did you crochet too? Oh, yes. And do you sew? Um, the only sewing I really did was craft. I, did, I used to do a lot of projects, craft projects. But, but that's only, you know, that's crafting sewing. That's not really sewing. Mm-hmm. I like to do hand sewing, um, you know, embroidery, embroidery type stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, now it sounds like you'll have a little more time uh, with this book now out of the way. You know, uh, you'll have a little more time to uh, regroup and decide what you're going to do next. If I haven't even gotten my photographs organized yet, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's so funny is, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, you know, if, when people scale back later in life, it's probably sometimes the busiest time <laughs> of life. Yes. I can't believe how the days go. Yeah. Well, thank you, Carol, so much okay. for your time. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, I. thank you so much. I'll be in touch. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Carol, for sharing your story and being a guest on Craft Sanity. I really appreciate it. And this week we have not just one project. We have a newsletter full of projects. Carol Duvall, as you heard in the interview, used to produce her um, craft newsletter, and it was just called Carol Duvall's Craft Letter. Issue number 10, volume 8, from October 1978, is available for download. 
at craftsanity.com. I'd like to give you all an opportunity at home to win a copy of Carol's book, Paper Crafting with Carol Duvall. So you know the drill. Just post a comment on the blog, craftsanity.com, and then send me a copy of your post. Just paste it into an email, and then include your mailing address in the email, not in the post, just in the email to me. So if you're selected, I can get the book to you. Also, I want to announce the winner of the episode 56 giveaway, and that was uh, Dee Bellini's soap package. There's a little sampler of the soaps and scrubs and lotions that she makes. And the winner is Bree Chapman of Northville, Michigan. So congratulations, Bree. I will have an after show, so for those of you who want to continue listening after the music plays, feel free to stick around. And for those of you who have other crafts and other business to get to, have a fantastic week. And don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity. Okay, so I am headed to the BlogHer convention Friday in Chicago, and I'm pretty excited about that because I'm going to get a chance to meet some of the people I've interviewed. So you've heard me talking to Natalie Z. Drew from Craft Magazine, and Kathy, a.k.a. the Crafty Chica, and Gayla Trail, the author of You Grow Girl and also the creator of the You Grow Girl website, both of which are fantastic. These women are going to be at BlogHer, along with some Craft Sandy listeners that I'm aware of, so that's going to be really fun to connect with people who kind of know a little bit about what I do and people who I've talked to in the past, so I'm excited about that. You know, because it's kind of a surreal experience, because I go about my business every day. Most people right around me have no idea, like, what my podcast is about. They hear me talking, you know, rambling on about, oh yeah, I interviewed so-and-so for my podcast. But a lot of the people I interact with on a daily basis are not craft lovers or art buffs so I can't wait to get around people who a group of people who actually know what I do have participated in it and love to make things so I think this is gonna be really really fun I'm also hoping to get the word out uh, a little more broadly you know so I can kind of do what I can to promote this podcast and get get us some more listeners increase our craft sanity crafting family and I will be recording some audio at the event Oh, I also wanted to remind you that I'm still looking for handmade stories. That's a new feature that I'm going to be rolling out soon. I got some responses uh, already of people who have stories they'd like to share. And again, what I'm asking for is just, you know, if you have an, an item that you made or someone made for you or something you bought at a secondhand store or you know of a friend who has a story, I'm just looking to collect stories about things that are handmade. And I'm interested in kind of the story behind it. Not so much, look at my sweater, it's made out of, you know, chenille. I want to know the story of what was going on in your life when you made this thing, or what is the significance of it, or why, why do you keep it? I mean, we all have projects that we kind of hate, you know, things we did that didn't turn out, but yet we hold on to them. I know I have a sweater I call the Julia Roberts sweater in my basement in a box, and it was, the reason I call it the Julia Roberts sweater is because there was a pattern that my mom found in like one of the women's magazines I'm not sure which one 
several years ago, but I had just gotten into knitting, and she said, hey, you know, here's a sweater that it says in this article that Julia Roberts made this sweater, this very pattern. So I thought, wow, you know, I am a huge fan of Julia Roberts, and I thought, well, yeah, I'd like to make this sweater. It looks like it's fairly easy. Well, the thing was fraught with error from the beginning, because I, um, instead of following the pattern, which is the first fatal error that I usually make, I, uh, first of all, didn't have the experience or the know-how at the time to deviate from the pattern. I barely have that kind of experience now. And not only did I decide to kind of go on my own, you know, kind of take what I wanted from this pattern, I also decided to knit with hand-spun yarn, which was totally insane because my hand-spun yarn is what I like to call the novelty variety since there were a lot of flubs and, you know, it was not uniform in you know, uh, thickness by any means. Uh, and this is probably the very first skein of yarn I attempted to spin. So you can just imagine the disaster this turned out to be. So I, being the very determined woman that I am, decided to continue to knit this sweater. Come hell or high water, I was going to get this sweater done, finish the front and back, the sleeves, and uh, start sewing it together. And I thought, you know, I should probably try this on, because it was looking kind of small. And at the time, I was a little heavier than I am now. I mean, who knows? Maybe I can make it fit now. It would take some serious alterations, though, because it just looks screwy the way it's constructed. But anyway, I um, put it over my head. It was very tight. And I put my arm, I attempted to put my arm in. The armpit was just so ridiculous. It was like cutting off my circulation under my arm. And I found that I could only stand to be in the sweater if I had my arm, like, akimbo, straight out. Who in the world is going to walk around with their arm straight out? And the other uh, sleeve was not sewn up yet. So it was absolutely ridiculous. And I have this sweater still in a box, in pieces, in my basement. I can't really bring myself to pull it out, and I don't really know why. But this isn't even, I mean, I guess this is an example of a piece that I've kept that is just ridiculous to still have. And I'm not even sure that this story is all that great. I'm sure you guys have better stories than this. I guess I'm setting the bar really low here, folks. You know, so I want to invite you to contact me if you have a story. Uh, what I'd like to see is a photo of your item, uh, whatever it is that is handmade that you want to tell me about. And I want to hear the story behind it, like how you got it, who made it for you, under what circumstances. There's always some interesting things behind how things are constructed. And I have a couple uh, items that I'll be talking about. I hope more of you decide to share a story, and just if you have a story idea, just put handmade stories in the subject line and include your information, uh, an email address, well, I'll have that if you email me, and maybe a phone number where I can reach you in case uh, I, we need to discuss the story. And uh, if you want to write it out as an essay and read that, that's something too. You can submit an essay to me, or you can just tell me an uh, outline of your story, and then we could talk about it and record it as kind of a mini little interview. So whatever you're more comfortable with. Some of you are writers and feel comfortable writing a whole story start to finish and just reading it, and others may feel like they want to be you know more active in it and telling the story kind of live. My goal is just to get as many of these stories collected as I can, and I will be putting them at the end of podcasts coming up, and then um, I'm going to have a kind of a gallery online where there'll be photos of items of handmade goods. If you have any other ideas or suggestions about the podcast, feel free to email me, jennifer at craftsanity.com. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for posting some really great comments on the blog lately. I really appreciate that, and I'm hoping to 
kind of just as time goes by, try to increase the posting that I do on the website with posting new things as often as I can. So I'm going to try and get in the habit of when I get books and magazines and products or whatever comes my way that's craft related, I'm going to post about it. And you'll probably see some updates too about my marathon training. I started some hill workouts uh, and uh, I almost threw up the first day of hill workouts, but I didn't throw up and uh, I've gone back like two or three more times for hill workouts since and I've uh, become quite well acquainted with this tree at the top of a very large hill at a local high school where I do my hill training and uh, yeah I think if I can get to the finish line of this marathon and these workouts help me I really do hope they'll, they'll be easier you know, they'll get easier as time goes on and I'll build strength and confidence so when I step up to the starting line for the Grand Rapids Marathon I will be ready <laughs> so we're working on the mental toughness right now and I look up this giant hill and I see this tree up there and I run up to the tree and I touch it and then I walk back down the hill and then do it again and I'm going to be doing this many times between now and October in the hopes that it will help me out so anyway I'll be updating you folks on that too okay I think I've said my piece you guys have a great week. I'll be back soon with uh, some, hopefully some interesting audio from the blog Her Convention and some more fantastic interviews that I have in the hopper. And don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me.